Uh, also, uh, he's answered our prayers, and he has uh, brought us a, uh, a office administrator. And so I would like to bring up Carissa Youngbluth, and so we can anoint you. You know, you've got to come up here. So... <laughs> Many of you know Carissa because she grew up here in this church, and so uh, which has been fantastic. But we we prayed and um, we had a lot of really great um, applicants, and uh, uh, but Carissa made it easy. Uh, so anyway, she is beginning as the office administrator. She was going to be the friendly voice that you hear on the phone when you call, and a friendly face when you come and visit. Um, and so please uh, just uh, encourage her and her good work as she begins to serve you. But first, we would like to uh, to pray over her. I think in the in Scripture, we find that anytime anybody works in the capacity of the church, they're commissioned by the body. It's a way of us saying, we're stacking hands and we're going to support you. So I would ask if you please join me as we, uh, as we commission Carissa for this great work. Father God, thank you for bringing Carissa an answer to prayer. Uh, we love it when answer to prayers are so tangible and so rapid. That's awesome, God. Thank you. Lord, we pray for Carissa as you've brought her into this role. We know it's so much more than office work, but it is also ministry. As she gets to represent this church, this body, and also gets to represent you. Father, I pray that you would bless her with wisdom and with patience. Father, with joy in her work, with uh, support. Father, I pray with good ideas. I pray that you give her success in what she puts her hands to. Father, I pray even more than all of this that her work would give you a good reputation. Father, help me and the rest of our staff to support her really well, and Father, in a way that honors you. Father, I pray too, as a a church body, you would help us to know how to support her in this great role, to see her succeed so that your church can succeed, so that the gospel will succeed here. Father, we pray all these things through the powerful, wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you. So make sure you congratulate Carissa when uh, you leave today, because how awesome is that? So cool. All right. We are in a financial series. Say, Aaron, why are we doing a financial series right now? Well, I'll tell you why. You ever notice when you plant something in the ground, it takes a while for it to come up? Right? I'm not a, a gardener because every time I try to garden, uh, I'm not patient enough, right? And so things don't happen fast enough, and you lose steam. Well, what happens is this time of year, a lot of people plant things that they reap later on, like around February. And oftentimes what they reap is poor financial decisions that end up having family problems and money problems and all kinds of other personal problems that, that we reap a crop of that in February, January, February, when the credit card bills start coming due. And uh, so it's a time of year where we find that I have the, the most, usually the counseling load, and I'm happy to be there and be able to support families through this. But it's a little preventative, right? That if we can have uh, finding financial security through godly principles, if we can have just a chance to, to take a step back and say, God, what is, how do we handle money in a way that honors you, uh, especially this particular time of year? Hopefully we're planting better things, and in January and February we can enjoy better things. That's why that we're going through this. And so, uh, and so last week, we talked about one of the things that uh, financial security, the godly principle, is trusting God. That we have to have this attitude. And one of the things you'll find if you take the financial piece of university is that, that good finance is so much more than just uh, philosophy or more than, than numbers and math. It's, it's attitude. It's, 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 it's passion, right? It's, it's emotional. <laughs> A lot of how we spend it. And there's this attitude that we have to begin with is a truly trusting God. And it's not just trusting God that he will provide, that he's good to his word. He says, I'll take care of you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And then all those things that you need, like what you're going to eat and where you're going to live and what you're going to wear, those things will be given to you. But, but trusting that God has actually already provided, that he's already currently right now providing 
for you. That you have what you need. And it's a skill that's called contentment. And I call it a skill because it's something that has to be learned. And contentment is a powerful secret to success and to happiness. It's one of these godly principles that help us find financial security. And the good news is because it's a skill, you say, well, I'm not a content person. Well, the good news is that you can become a content person. It's something that can be learned. So that's great. Even you. Even you. So we'll talk about today, how do we learn contentment? In fact, let's, our memory verse today, this is what he wrote in Philippians 4.11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Think about that. How cool that is. That whatever the circumstances. You right now are in that, right? Whatever the circumstances kind of inculcate, whatever you're in right now, your circumstances. Are you happy right now? Are you content? They're different things, by the way. But to be content in whatever our circumstances is hard, but it can happen. This is for us, so let's say it together one more time. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Philippians 4.11. This is where we have to go. If we trust God, the next step has to be contentment. Especially this week as we talk about Thanksgiving. The two tie into each other really well. Contentment doesn't happen naturally, though, right? There's, I have to learn to be content. Something I think we learn about is, is uh, we, we uh, learn about growing things. And I loved how Jesus used agriculture so often in his, uh, in his teachings because it, he's a God who created all things. And we think about when we grow, uh, people that are in Kansas don't just walk out into their fields and see all of a sudden just huge wheat crops that are there, right? Because wheat doesn't just grow on its own. What grows on its own in the fields if we don't do anything? Exactly. Weeds. And you know what grows in the human heart just naturally because we have a fallen heart? Weeds. Sin. Right? Discontentment. If we just let our, the, heart, the soil of our heart go untended, what's going to grow here just naturally are not going to be great things. There's going to be envy and rage, and bitterness, and lust, right? All of these things are naturally going to grow out of our life. And I think all of us testify that that's true. Sometimes theologians call this our sin nature or whatever, but it's just part of being in a broken world. Sin broke it. It broke the planet. Remember the Garden of Eden was great, and after the the fall was, man, you're going to have to work for the good stuff. It's the same thing here. Contentment is is not going to grow naturally in your life. If you're waiting to find a time in your life that says, if I just have enough things, I will be content, that day will never come. If you are sitting there today being discontented, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your life. It means that you're growing the wrong things in your heart. Because I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. If we want to grow something of God, we have to plant the right things. And contentment is something that takes a while. It, It takes work. And you think about somebody when they plow the field for the first time, they've got to clear off all the topsoil, right? All the bad stuff that was there, right? And then they've got to till up the soil, and they've got to plant what they want, and then they've got to go through and spend the time re-weeding till eventually the soil is clean. It is the same in our hearts. Contentment is not going to come easy, but I will tell you, without contentment, we will continually put ourselves into bad positions financially. If not only the fact that it doesn't mean that we'll always run into financial problems as far as money, it means our money will always be a problem. Because we'll never be content, whether we have a lot or we have little. And we don't want to live a life that shows that we have 
trusting God so little, saying that he doesn't give us what, enough, uh, what, he's, what we need, right? Contentment is necessary, so we have to work at it. First Timothy, uh, it's a book that Paul wrote to his, uh, his disciple, Timothy. He was raising up to be a leader in the church. And there's two letters to Timothy that we find. One was earlier on in, t- in, the, in the apostle's life as Timothy was stepping up into leadership and, and a big church and all of this. The second one is right before Paul is, uh, is uh, going to be executed and he passes on the torch to Timothy. But this is the first letter. This is kind of the foundation of, of what does it mean to serve in a body and, and how to care for people. In 1 Timothy, Paul wrote, he said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I think it's a foundation of life and ministry, not just for those that are in the pastorate, but in life in general, that we have to recognize that godliness with contentment is of great gain to us. There's a, if it's going to take a lot of work to learn contentment, I think you have to understand that there's a value to it. And scripture talks about this multiple times. We have to add this contentment with godliness. It's not us pulling our hands up in the air and saying, well, I'm just, this is my lot in life and I'm giving up. But there's a godliness, a purpose in our contentment that gives us great gain in the midst of it. So I'll tell you what, let's, let's talk about how we learn this and what that gain is. If you turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4, that's where we just had our memory verse. If you have uh, one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 820. If you need a Bible, we've got a whole bunch of them on the bookshelf back there. Um, you can help yourself too. And if you need a Bible, uh, you just... Uh, you don't have one, keep it. Our gift to you. Uh, just use it. So here we are in, in, in uh, Philippians. Let me give you just a little background on Philippians. Philippians was a writ- written by Paul. Uh, he was in prison in Rome at the time, and he wrote it to uh, this church in Philippi. And he planted the church there in Philippi on his second missionary journey, so some 10 years be- before this letter was written. And he was there, and this Philippi was a, uh, it was a, a, a city that was, had a lot of um, Gentile um, soldiers that had retired there. So Roman soldiers, a lot of them kind of retired in this area. And so a lot of our cars were very, uh, very patriotic. They loved Rome, right? And he plants this church there. And uh, so some 10 years later, we have this new emperor there. His name is Nero. We find Paul is in prison waiting to see Nero, and the persecution of the church has now begun. And the Philippian church, these, these retired patriotic soldiers are now feeling this tension between their allegiance to the king of kings, Jesus, and the king of the world, Nero. And they're seeing this persecution where Nero is saying, you cannot be a Christian and a patriot. And there's, this tension has begun, and, and we see that the persecution begins it, it, the, in Philippi. And the cost for them socially, these soldiers, to continue their faith in Christ was very high. Because their friends who had not yet become Christian are seeing that this is, a, uh, this is maybe an anti-Rome thing, which of course it was not. And so he writes this letter to them, and he begins to encourage them and saying, you know what, the gospel is being preached, and he even talks about it being preached right in, by the Praetorian guards, right there in, in Caesar's house itself. <laughs> and he shocks about uh, how we can live this life as Christians, as, as overcomers, and as uh, how the kingdom of God is greater. It's an amazing book. And so Paul sends us, so what happens is these, these church in Philippi, they recognize that Paul is in Rome, and uh, 
they, they, when you're in, in, in a house arrest, things, you can't go out and work. So how is he going to get money? How is he going to eat? So this church, even despite that they were uh, facing some opposition themselves, they put together an offering and they send it all the way to Rome and they give it to Paul. And Paul writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this letter and sends it back to them partly as an encouragement and partly as a thank you. The book of of Philippians. And there at the end, you obviously know in a letter, is kind of the last thoughts, the things that you'd say, I want to make sure that he gets through. He didn't get in the book part of the letter. Say these are important things he definitely wants to pass on to them. And that's where we find our, our passage today. And in verse, starting in verse 10, which is you know, the part here, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying that because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. What a powerful passage. You ever heard people like try to bench press something that's way too big for them? says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's that passage where they took it out of context. Paul had some great experience. He writes in there, he says, listen, I've been, I've learned to be content through all kinds of things, through being wealth, right? Through having my needs met, to having a a lot, and by having little. And he wasn't, these weren't just flowery words. Paul actually had this, his life. Think about his life. He grew up with, with a lot of privilege, right? He was highly trained, right? He was highly positioned. He grew up with some wealth, and to the point that he was, you know, on track to be part of the Sanhedrin, a big deal. And in that time, when he had lots, he learned how to be content. And think how hard that is. You ever uh, watch the, the, the uh, Fiddler on the Roof? That's a great musical, if you have it. It's so fun. There's a song in there that talks about if you don't, um, how much is enough, just a little bit more. I think it's so true in our life. You see some people that no matter how much they have, they can't quite be content because they need to have always just a little bit more than they currently have. And part of that drive, that ambition is, can be healthy, but usually it's not. And usually it drives people into being workaholics, to, to kill themselves getting toys that they really don't need, to impress people they really don't like. That's a, a thing that uh, comes from faith or, from, or uh, financial peace university, and it's so true. Learning to be content with wealth is not easy, but Paul learned it. He also had time to be poor. And he says, even when I don't have much, I've learned all things, how to be comfortable, how to be content when I was in need. And Paul had opportunity to lose all his wealth. When he accepted Jesus, he lost a lot. He lost his position. No one's going to take him on in the Sanhedrin, right? He loses that. Uh, He's not going to be able to speak in the synagogues like he used to be able to do. He lost that. He lost his community of support. In fact, he was excommunicated, and not only that, but then he had to earn his living being a tent maker. He went from being a scholar to being very blue collar. In fact, being a tent maker, he had to work with, with leather. And if you work with leather, one thing you learn about leather comes from dead animals. And the Jewish people thought dead animals well, was part of their law. That was unclean. That was like substandard work. 
And here he goes from this lofty position down to something that doesn't pay as much, but he did it because it forward, gave him opportunity to forward the gospel. God worked in the midst of it. He was in prison. When you're in prison, you're pretty poor, especially if you're in a Roman prison. Beyond that, he was also at the point in his life, right before he writes this letter, just uh, you know, a couple months before that, he was shipwrecked and brought up on an island. You know, he had nothing, lost literally everything, his freedom and all his possessions. And he washes up on a shore, and then he gets bit by a snake, right? He knew what it was like to be in need. And he found contentment. And I think a lot of times we feel the pressure of this world and the need to say, God, if you don't come through, I am not going to make it. And it's hard to be content and even in those times. And Paul learned to trust that God was there and to find provision in God and to be content in it. And he says it's not that Paul just learned these things. He said he learned the secret of contentment. Because you say most of us who are in Christ have been walking in Christ for a long time, but all of us, and I'll include myself in this, struggle with contentment. Is that fair enough to say? I think part of it is because there's a secret to it. It doesn't just come natural. It's not just because you're, you're like you, you put your faith in Jesus, you're baptized, and all of a sudden, hey, I'm content. There are things in our life, there's, there's, there's things that we need to plant in our lives, the right things, and they're not readily apparent. So what is the secret of contentment, how we learn these things? Well, whatever the circumstances, uh, we see that uh, we can be content in this. So what do we have? This, the secret is I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's the secret. And not just an acknowledgement that I can do that, but it's trust in God, isn't it? That making it through this life is not on my own steam. The secret to contentment begins with the trust, which is why we preached on trust last week. It starts with trust. If we don't trust God, truly trust God in his character and his provision and his presence in our life, you will never, ever be able to be content. You have to trust that God is not just great and that he's truly good, regardless of your circumstances, that God is, is present, but that he's actually present in your life. And his promises aren't just in general, but they're for you specifically. He's good to his word, and he's not just good to his word in the future, he's good to his word right now. I think there's, a, there's something in this. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can be content. It is a miracle of God in your life if you can find contentment. Whether or not you have lots of money or if you are in need or if you're really healthy or you're really sick or whatever your circumstances are, if you can find contentment, isn't that a miracle? Right. It would be like uh, having wheat just grow up in the middle of a field. The secret is that we have to begin to truly trust God. I can do this through him. But there's more to it. How do I trust God? Where does his power in this come? Well, you know what I love the thing about the Bible is it's all written in context, right? Like it tells you right there, like there's not a whole lot of things that are all just kind of out there on their own. Like Paul actually talks about what does it mean I can do all of this, who gives me strength, and it's right there in the passages right around. In fact, if you go back to verse 4, it starts with this. It says, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I think the first thing we trust God is that we start to rejoice in God. That's what Thanksgiving is about, isn't it? Think about that first Thanksgiving. That was held with those pilgrims and the Indians and all this. You know what happened the year right before that? 
half of their, their whole civilization died because of starvation and, and plague. And if it wasn't for the, the, the sovereign and merciful hand of God, they all would have died. And so they get together at the end of this and they're able to throw what's, uh, this banquet alongside the Native Americans and say, thank you to God. Giving thanks to God in spite of even harsh, terrible circumstances. At the verge of facing yet another winter. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. In fact, he's, he's got to say it again because he knows that this is a group of people that were facing persecution. They were looking at the chance that they too may face prison time at some point soon if they continue to follow Jesus. And he says to them, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, I, again, I want to say to rejoice. I'm not kidding about this. It begins with understanding that God is good and he has overcome. Jesus said, he promised us, in this world you will have trouble. Didn't he say that? But he didn't stop there. I'm so glad that the passage doesn't stop there. It says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? But take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world. Overcome. He's done it. We are one. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Our kingdom is, is already established, right? We, we get to be with Christ forever, and his kingdom has already come to this earth, and it's expanding, and this is what this is. It's the church, and God has not abandoned us, and he loves us, and he's forgiven us from all of our sins. He's called us to great things, and he says, in this life, I will give you exactly what you need to build my kingdom, and when you come, the reward is next. Rejoice. This is a pep rally. This world is falling off the cliff, and our Lord has saved us. And he is saving us every day. And if he didn't abandon our souls to hell, why would he abandon us, our bodies here now in Estes Park? Our God is real and he is good. We have to trust in the truth and the reality of our God. He is the living God, not the God of imagination. He is not some kind of stick that people walk up and bow down to. He is a real God. And he is working in your life right now. Rejoice. The good news has far outweighed the bad. Our God loves you with a love you cannot even comprehend. And he cares for you in a way that you can only, uh, I think our minds are, have the, don't have the capacity to fully even imagine. He is overcoming this dark world with the light of love and truth. Rejoice. That's the first secret of contentment. In the midst of your circumstances right now, you can rejoice when you face good things, right? Because God's at work and he's allowing you to, to face, to chase some good things. That's great. But even the difficulties, God had promised, I will use those against the enemy and for your good. Rejoice. In fact, it says in Scripture, there are times if we face persecution, rejoice. Jesus said, blessed are those that weep. Blessed are those that mourn. Didn't he? It doesn't matter our circumstances. Our God is just as present today as he will always be. Rejoice. And how do we rejoice? There's a secret to it. Remember that the Lord is near. Our rejoicing is not just some pie-in-the-sky hopeful thinking. He says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's why we rejoice. God is not far off. 
We don't have to travel Jerusalem to go climb some holy hill to be able to try to meet with the Almighty God. He has come and made a temple in our own life, in your own body. God is very near to you. He has held you in His hand before you were even born. He has known the every day of your life and every numbers of your hairs on your head. He knows what you're going to go through and He has provision for you now. And He has called you not to fail, but to be more than overcomers. Rejoice, because our God is near. He is with you, which means this. Our God is with you in the celebrations. When good things come into your life, our God is there saying, Awesome opening up doors, providing for you, caring for you. He is there to celebrate, but he's also there in the hard times. He knows every tear that falls. That's what the word says. He knows exactly what you feel. In fact, he's a friend that's closer than a brother. He is in you and with you, and you suffer. He suffers with you, and he understands in a way that no one else can. Your God cares for you. In fact, when you don't even know what to pray, God is praying for you the things that you absolutely need. And he will not abandon you. And he will never forsake you. We can rejoice in our circumstances because God is in these circumstances with us, redeeming them, overcoming them. And so then in verse 6 through 7, he gives us our next secret then. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, you all have heard, most of you have been here for a while, have heard how God actually made this passage very real in my life when I was going through something very difficult, and I said, you know, I'm just going to practice this. There's a powerful thing. It's not just that we pray all of our things that, that we're going through to God. He actually wants to hear from you. Isn't that good to know that God wants to hear from you? It's not belly aching to him. He wants his children to say, I'm hurting, help, or I'm confused, help, or I'm scared, help. But there's something in there. It says, present your your request to God with thanksgiving. Well, how on earth can I be thankful? If I I was happy, I wouldn't be talking to God, is what some of us think, right? Let me only go to God when there's trouble. And God, I'm coming to you because things aren't going well in my life. How can I possibly be thankful? I struggled with that. And here's what I found. I don't give God thanksgiving for my circumstances. Because oftentimes my, th- my circumstances are lousy. I'm grateful to God for who he is in the midst of my circumstances. That's who I give thanks for. I remember the time that uh, I was going through and, uh, and, and uh, Amy, my wife, was getting very, very sick. And, and I was getting very, very lonely. And it was very hard. And it was hard for her. It was hard for me. It was hard for my son. And I was not content at all. Not even a little bit content. But I realized in the midst of this is there is a God that I was talking to. There's a couple things I was thankful for him about. One is that he's a God who can heal. And that may seem silly, but the fact of the matter is that talking to someone who actually can do something about it gives you a little bit more uh, peace. And if you take your car and it's broken down and you take it to somebody who has no idea how to fix cars and you're like, hey, my car is broken, but you know they can't fix it. There's not a whole lot of peace in that conversation, is it? But you take it to like the world's best mechanic You're like, I know that you can actually do something about this. I was thankful that my God is powerful and he's a God who can heal. And he has the heart to heal. But you know what? God chose not to heal Amy. 
And that struggled too, right? So what else did I give thankful for? I gave thanks that my God is a God that's bigger than sickness. And he says, I'll be with you in this. I will redeem it. That he's a God that can take bad circumstances and make great things out of it. He can bring beauty from ashes, and he's done it throughout all the time. Look at the times in the Word that we read. How many times he's take totally broken things. People have messed stuff up, and he turns around to something beautiful. And that was the same God. If he wasn't going to heal my wife, he was going to do something amazing through her. I was grateful for who he is. And I wouldn't have chosen my circumstances, but I would choose that God any day of the week. Because if I'm going to go through this, at least it can be redeemed. So I give thanks to God for who he is. There have been lots of times in my life where I face difficult things. I'm not grateful for the circumstances, but I can always be grateful for who my God is. And if I can say that, if I can really just think about who he is right now, why is it important? So if you're sick, be grateful that you have a God that's going to give you a new body. If you're struggling financially, be grateful that you have a God who provides all things and also has called you to his heavenly realm. And you are a child. You are going to be provided for not just in this life, but also in the next with wealth that you can't even imagine. Be grateful that you have a God who can change history. If you are angry with the way that the world is, be grateful that you have a God who has overcome this world. If you are a person that, that is, is just living in guilt and shame, right, be grateful you have a God who forgives and who redeems. And this wonderful word propitiates. He turns his anger away and he's not mad at you. Be thankful for who God is in the midst of all of your circumstances. But you have to name it. You can't just say blanket, yeah, God, you're good. When you bring your request to God, be grateful for the God. Thank him for who he is, that he can actually meet those needs. So we replace anxiety with this, trust and gratitude. It starts as we talk about this this week, this year, where we have Thursday, we give Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should be a regular part of the Christian life. I'm not just thankful for the stuff that I have because everything, whether good or bad, is just a tool right now that God is using to, to expand his kingdom. The, the real party's next. I'm thankful for my God who's overcome. So with prayers, petitions, thanksgiving, we, we, find, we find hope. And then in verse 8, we recenter our thought life. You can't recenter your thought life until you've done these other things, by the way. If you're not rejoicing who God is, you're not remembering that he's near in your life and he's present. If you're not replacing the anxiety in your life with, with trust in him, right? You really can't get to this recentment because you're going to be so worried about everything else. But look what happens when we begin to really trust God. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Isn't that amazing? How do we think about the right things? I heard a great quote today somebody told me. It was awesome. It says, you know, we can make our lives really dark <laughs> despite all the light around us. Think about that. There is so much more good because there is God in this world. And we always think about the things that worry us, how God is, may not come through for us. Guess what? God's coming through for you right now. You are here right now, which means that he is evident and working in your life. And God says, you know what? Think on the truth. And there are good things that we can begin to think about. It's a transformation of our very mind and thinking. We see the world totally different. Paul didn't see his time in Rome as being in prison. It was an opportunity to talk with the emperor. He was changing the world. Because Paul was unchained. His sins had been forgiven and he knew what was coming next was awesome. 
we have a different perspective, one that is not given to fear and anxiety. We begin this by recognizing when we take captive our thoughts. When I start to think things like God isn't being good enough for me, which is why I'm being discontent, by the way, as I'm not happy with my circumstances, which then, if we really think about it, I'm not trusting God with my circumstances. When I begin taking captive my thoughts and say, you know what? God is here right now in my life. And I take those captive, I recenter my thought life. What is good? What is good about God right now? Because I will tell you, there are good things in your life. And Thanksgiving is a great time because as a culture, we're kind of forced to sit around a table and say, I'm thankful for this, right? So you've got to think of something. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of things in your life you can be thankful for. Counting your blessings is, is not something that is just, a, uh, it's a very good spiritual discipline. And think about what is lovely and what is true and what is right. Think about the truth of the word, not the brokenness of this planet. When we recognize and we start to see the world through God's perspective and we start to see the world through the biblical lens, you will see that there's a lot more reason for optimism than there is for pessimism. We recenter our thought life and we recognize that God is at work today. And then what do we do? Well, when we recenter our life, we need to respond faithfully. It says, then whatever you have learned or received or have heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. We could know the Bible and it can make zero difference in our life. Do you know the devil knows the Bible better than any of us here? Probably if you add all of our Bible knowledge together, he would know it better. And it's done him no good. The Pharisees knew the word, but they missed the Savior. May it not be so for us. When you hear God saying this is true, then you need to practice it. That's the actually plowing the soil, isn't it? That's planting the right things. That's harvesting the crop of righteousness in your life. You want contentment? This is actually doing the work because it's not just going to happen. And I will tell you, showing up to church on Sunday is not going to make you a content person. Actually, in your life, learning to be content in your circumstances, that's the hard work, will help you reap a harvest of contentment in your life. And what happens when we reap that harvest? Look what it says. And the God of peace will be with you. You want peace? Are you tired of being overwrought by, by fear? There's a God who, who can be with you, who can give you peace regardless of your circumstances. He can guard your heart and your mind. He can help you enjoy this life in a right way and to see it in a better way. You don't have to live in the turmoil of discontentment. But we have to begin here, right? We have to actually apply His truth to our life. So let me... Uh, let me just wrap up, address three different groups in, in our congregation briefly before we get to the conclusion. The first, I'm going to address those who are healthy and wealthy right now. Because contentment in your life, there's some practical things that's going to be difficult. The second, I'm going to talk to briefly are those that are struggling financially. And the third are those that are struggling physically. So first, let me talk to those that are healthy and wealthy. That, that health and wealth are a blessing. There has been a thing in Christendom that it's gone through sometimes that we, because wealth can be a trap, that sometimes we look at those that are healthy and wealthy with suspect in the church and say, well, there's something wrong with you because you, you have these things. You're materialistic. That is not true. Job was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Right? Those things are not curses. They're not signs of evil. Yes, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but the money itself can be used for good or evil, right? And if you are wealthy today, recognize that there's a blessing from God in Scripture. Over and over and over again, we see that God blesses people with comfort with things, right? And sometimes it's because you've been faithful, and sometimes it's in spite of the fact that you haven't been. But I will tell you, if you are comfortable right now, not just with your wealth, but also with your health, if you have an able body, give thanks to God. 
recognize that that is from him. It is a gift that he doesn't just give to everybody. None of us are entitled to it, but you have it. So don't just enjoy it. First, be thankful for it. Godly living can lead to those things, but not always. And so if you have this, we start by by beginning to say what I have. If I never get one penny more, if I never become more healthy than I am today, I will be content that God has already blessed me so much. There's a humility to it. Because there are people that are just as smart as you and just as faithful as you. In fact, I would dare say smarter than you and more faithful than you and more disciplined than you that don't enjoy the same kind of blessings that you have. So in humility, say thanks to God. Be grateful that he's blessed you with good things. But also recognize that with the blessing, there's also a responsibility. Not everyone can handle blessing. And it is a test. And I think it is one of the hardest tests that we find in in all of life. Handle prosperity is a very difficult thing. To stay faithful and also have prosperity is, is not something that many people can do well. Think about the rich young ruler. Uh, when he was there and he says, I've, I've done all of these things. I want to be religious, but I'm going to choose money over you, God. And he missed out on the kingdom. There's warning that we see in, in the text that says, listen, it's easier for a, a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That should be a warning for us because we like to cling to our stuff. Recognize that God is testing you and giving you a great opportunity for your faith to be proven true. So treat it as such. You know, that passage that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Love God. Enjoy your wealth. Please do and your health. Enjoy it. But love only God. Cling to Him in the midst of this. Use your wealth righteously and for good things, which also means that you can enjoy good things. And the God of peace will begin to work in you. Be content. Now let me talk to those that are, uh, that are struggling financially. Oh, actually, talk about this for, for the wealthy. Rejoice. Rejoice that God is good. That's where we begin. Rejoice that God is good and, he's, he's, and it's not your wealth that is good, but that God is good. And remember also that Christ is near. He's going to expect more from you. He, Jesus said that too much is given, much is expected. That's not just in faith. It's not just in revelation. In your life, you have the ability to bless and to build the kingdom in ways that other people do not have, whether because you have, you have wealth or because you have health and you have an able body. In either case, you have the ability to do something, and God will expect you to do something with it. Also this, replace anxiety with, with gratitude. A lot of times people who have wealth or have health oftentimes are very anxious about losing those things. God is the one who provided them for you. Keep living. Seek the kingdom of God first and most. And if he allows you to keep those things, awesome. And if he allows you to not keep those things, he is still your God. And he is still working in your life. Look what he did to the Apostle Paul, who had both of those things, health and wealth, and then they were both taken away. Would we look down our nose at the Apostle Paul? Trust him. Rejoice and replace your anxiety with trusting him. If he's brought you these things, maybe he's expecting you to do something amazing with them. Maybe you are like a Job. Maybe you are like an Abraham. How about this? Recenter your thought life. Think about what is true and is right. Not just about how I can get more or about the things that I want to acquire so that I can become more comfortable or people will esteem me better. Think about the truth, the real picture. Jesus said, you gain this whole world but lose your soul, then you missed out. 
Use what you have. Invest greatly in the kingdom. That's what he says. Store up your treasure there. And that doesn't just mean like donate all your money to the church. What it does mean is say donate yourself to the work of God. Wherever you are, business, if you have succeeded and and you have uh, opportunity, use your influence. If you have the ability to support missions, do it. Start thinking about what is true and is right. This world is passing away, but your wealth, your true wealth, won't. And I'll tell you what, when you get to the kingdom of heaven, you, you think you're wealthy now, just, just wait. Or you can't even comprehend the true riches that are already yours in Christ. So we replace our anxiety. I'm not worried about losing things. And you know what? I'm going to recenter my thinking on what is true and what is right and what is lovely, what is good. And I'm going to respond faithfully because knowing all this today and then going home and doing nothing with it is a waste If you want to begin being content, and if you have a lot and you are not content right now, then the answer is not getting more. Maybe it's giving up some of those things that own you. Maybe that's where it begins. Start putting into practice. Respond faithfully. How about those that are poor? Well, there's a difference between the Lord's poor and the devil's poor. I want to start with that. Okay? The Lord's poor, there's a lot of people who work really, really hard. They're faithful, they, they strive, they, they, they have good work ethic, they go and do the right things, and despite all of this, they just never find themselves in a financially strong position. Right? And, and that's okay. Now, the, the devil's poor are those that are poor because they make really bad shit decisions and they're unrighteous and stuff like this, and they, uh, maybe they, they spend all their money doing, uh, going into their vices and things like that. If you're part of the devil's poor, here's the answer for you. You've got to repent. You've got to realize that there's a God who is near and he's going to expect something from you and, and he has got something better, a much better life for you than you've been able to eke out yourself. You need to turn yourself over to him if you want anything to change. But for the Lord's poor, for those that are working and, and, and are, are, are striving to seek God in all of this, but they just don't get the, the benefit in this life of wealth, even though they apply all of the truth, all this stuff, recognize this, that God calls his followers to every station. What would it be like if every Christian all of a sudden was just enormously rich? Who would reach the poor? Because they would say, you don't understand what my life is like. And a lot of people would then come to the kingdom of God expecting only earthly wealth, which is stupid. It's too small. Recognize this. Jesus, our Lord, was poor. Are we better than him? Should we expect to live a lifestyle higher than his? The Lord who saved us, the King of Kings, who emptied himself and came to this world and didn't even have a house, to, a bed to sleep in. And not only that, but those of us who are in Christ, who are poor, have a way of, a, of, of identifying with Jesus that those who are wealthy never will. We understand what it's like to pray for our daily bread and to see God have to continually come through. We have a way of, of understanding his heart for those that are lost we have a way of understanding that there is more in this world. Our hope is so much, it's easier when you're poor not to put your hope in this world, isn't it? You have opportunity to identify with Jesus that those who are wealthy won't have. So embrace it. But also remember that poverty can also be a trap. It can lead to envy. It can lead to theft. It can even lead to murder. None of these things, I recognize that the Lord has, has called you in a position where you have to face poverty, and that is your reality. He's trusting you with something. And he's trusting with something that not many people are able to really come through and, and, and overcome, but he's trusting you with it, and he's in you. So how do we respond in this, this opportunity? Well, I think the first thing is we rejoice in the Lord our ways, don't we? Remember that you are a child of the King. We rejoice not in today, but we as Christians rejoice in what's coming, Right? 
who are really part of. Rejoice in that. Keep your focus on that. Remember that Christ is near too. He has not abandoned you. It's not as though his promises aren't true because you're doing all the right things and yet you're not getting wealth in this world. It says that you're storing up treasures in the, cabin, in the kingdom of heaven. And that you're supposed to actually really rejoice because you like won the lottery in that. You've, you've really uh, overcome. I mean, it's an amazing opportunity that you have right now. In your poverty to show that you are still, have, still have wealth, that knowing what's coming next, that your God has redeemed you and he's caring for you, that Christ is near and he's with you. Remember that. So replace your anxiety. Knowing that God is true to his word, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then he's going to provide those things for you, that, what you need. And he will, day by day, you will see God, just like manna from heaven in your life, caring for you, giving you exactly what you need. God does not drop his children. And you may feel as though you've been dropped, but I'll tell you, you are here today. And he is calling you to something. So go to him. And tell him your needs and pray for your daily bread. I will tell you, it's an amazing thing. We are not beggars, we are children. And we are asking him, Lord, in my life, if you've called me to be here, then use me here, but please meet these needs. <laughs> and be grateful to who he is because he will meet his needs. God does not, he does not fail and he does not lie. And he is with you. So you will get to see the miracle of God in your own life through the provision he provides. So we recenter our thinking. You might be right now, your thoughts are all about all the stuff that you can't afford or the, or the pressures that are coming in. Recenter your thoughts. You have a God of the universe who is caring for you, who is carrying you through this to do great things. Think about what is true and is right and respond faithfully. Maybe instead of thinking about how I can get out of these, these financial, this difficulty, you can start thinking about, you know what? How can I be faithful to the kingdom today? How can I be faithful for what? If God has called me to this, I can be content in this. If Paul could be content in a Roman prison cell, you can be content in your life today, right? Learn to be content whatever the circumstance. So respond. Say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that you're at work right now. How about to those that are sick, unwell? I'll tell you that poverty of health is a crucible. You've often heard the people that say, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. They're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. That's one of the biggest lies. I'll tell you why that's such a big lie. Is that our God is the God of all things. He can heal anybody, right? I'll tell you, there was this guy that was uh, uh, named Lazarus, and he got really sick. And it says, hey, you've got nothing because you died. He didn't even have breath anymore. And Jesus came back, kicked in and like, come out of the tomb, Lazarus. And he did. Because our God is a God who can heal anybody he wants to at any time he wants to. And if you are in Christ and you've been praying for healing, our God can heal you right now if he wanted to. But if he has not, it doesn't mean that he hasn't heard you. And it doesn't mean that there's some great lesson that you have to fix first. It means our God is healing in a better way. And you have a brand new body waiting for you, by the way. A brand new body. But he's going to use your illness against the enemy. And at the just the right time, he can heal you. So trust him. But I'll tell you that it is hard it is really hard to be optimistic when you're sick. But recognize this. Our Lord was afflicted, wasn't he? At the peak of his life, he was cut short. Now, some people die of cancer. He died of nails. It wasn't fair. He recognized what it's like to have things stolen from him. And then when you're sick, life is stolen from you. Illness is a thief. And it takes and it takes and it takes. But our God is one who can outgive the thief, and actually, he's the one that can arrest him. In your sickness, our God is not absent.
God can use both suffering and healing for his purposes. He healed Lazarus, which was amazing. But you know what? There are times in our life that he can also just use our sickness. Isn't it a testimony to God? How those people, have you ever heard, heard of a name of Johnny Erickson Tata? A, a woman that was a great athlete, a diver, all this, and she ends up taking a dive when she's a teenager and breaks her neck and is paralyzed. And because of that, not in spite of it, because of that, she has the ability to, to reach hundreds and thousands of people with the gospel has built the faith in the kingdom of God in a way that she never would have with a healthy body. God can use both. And God is with you now. Learning content while you're sick is not easy, but it is possible. So how do we do it? Well, we rejoice in the Lord always. I think we start with this there. God is getting, he gives new bodies. Yay. That, that he's not done with you. And he's going to use this. Also remember that Christ is near. God is not far off, and he's not some mean taskmaster who's just giving you a test, and once you figure out the riddle, he'll heal you. He's not like that. God is with you now already using your illness in ways that you can't even imagine. Maybe he's building the faith of others. Maybe he has nothing to do with you, but he's using you to help others. And I will tell you, on this side of the kingdom, there may be no time in your life you say, well, I would still choose this, but I'll tell you, when you get there, when you see things from God's perspective, there's no way you would trade your current circumstances for a healthy body. That's the power and the goodness of our God. So rejoice in him. Remember that he's near. So replace your anxiety with gratitude. Don't be thankful that you're sick. Be thankful that you're a God who can use your sickness. And be thankful that you have a God who can heal you at any moment, anytime he wants to. And we've seen it happen. Put your trust in him. Go to him daily. He'll give you the strength to overcome the, to the, the, the pain that just withers. He's bigger than that pain. And the, and the hardship and the depression and all those things that come along with long-term sickness. Our God has not abandoned you. So replace your anxiety. Go to him with thanksgiving, thanking him that he's the God of the eternal. Also this, recenter your thinking. It's easy when you're sick and you're lying in bed to think about, woe is me. How come me and not anybody else? Well, why not you? Maybe God has, has called you because you have a kind of faithfulness that he needs. You have been called to serve in a difficult way, but he rewards those who serve. Recenter your thinking and recognize that in your sickness, you have the opportunity to help people in, in, a, in unimaginable ways. What is true and what is right and what is lovely and what is pure, think on those things and then respond faithfully. In your sickness, instead of becoming giving into bitterness, give instead into gratitude and to grace. You have the ability, when somebody is, is, is enduring illness well, they have an enormous voice in the rest of this world because this world tells us this world is all there is. And if you're sick, you should be the most displeased. And if you can show contentment in your current circumstance, you will be a testimony, not just to those who live around you, but also all those who give you care. It is a megaphone. So respond faithfully. And God will teach you it, and, and you will learn contentment and you will have the God of peace will be with you. So as we bring this to a conclusion, uh, this, this series, the first, and you take out your connection cards, I have some ideas of how we can uh, do this. We, we talk about financial security. We're, this, you, you talk about, we, we didn't talk a whole lot about f- how to handle our money financially and things like this because there's an attitude that has to begin first. Financial security begins with trust. And in trust and trusting God and in Christ we are content, Right? So in God we trust, in Christ we are content. Financial security begins here. We begin to plant this in our life now. Hopefully, in January and February, you'll have better days. 
All right, so our things that I would ask you to, to consider how to apply this, how to respond faithfully today. The first one, from the back of your connection card, you'll see I have some suggestions. The first is to memorize Philippians 4.11, that you have learned to be content. Uh, this is a really helpful one because especially during this time of year when there's going to be sometimes it's a very painful time of year for people because, um, well, it just is. Holidays can be wonderful, can also be very painful. Learn to be content now, whether it's good or bad. And remember the word is that you can actually be content. There's not an excuse to say, well, my circumstances are too hard to be content. No, whatever the circumstances, you can learn to be content. Maybe you memorize this. Or how about, why don't you read Philippians 4? Read the whole chapter. Read it all in context. See what Paul's talking about. In fact, if you really want extra credit, read the whole book. It's not long. How about this? This week, give thanks. What an easy week for that to do that, right? We even have a day set aside in the calendar for it. But maybe you begin now. You begin looking at your life and your circumstances today and say, what am I grateful for? Make a list. Start giving gratitude for the things that you have. But even more than that, I would also say, list the things that you need God to do and list down who God is and his characteristics so you can start giving thanks to God for who he truly is. He is bigger than your circumstance. Or how about this? Maybe you sign up for the Financial Peace University. There are actual principles that we can apply into our life to actually handle our money well. We didn't talk about those during this series. And this is a great foundation. But there are some things, I know that a lot of people struggle with finances, not because uh, we're evil or bad, but because we just have, no one ever taught us, we haven't learned how to handle money in a good and a godly way. But I'll tell you, doing so frees you up. There's no reason to suffer needlessly. Maybe you're poor because you haven't handled your money well. Well, God has taught us in his word how to do that. um, Dave Ramsey's done a good job of putting that together in a very easy to understand and and applicable package, a way of of doing this. So I tell you what, if you want to learn these principles, um, and I'll tell you a personal testimony. My wife and I, when we came in and we started Financial Peace University, we were in a world of hurt. We had a lot of medical bills and we had no idea how to pay any of them, right? And we've stepped through all of that and now it's been three years debt-free, except for our mortgage, which is our next thing that we're paying off because we're applying the principles in this. And, and we didn't have a perfect rosy walkway through this. We had a lot of crazy things in life that happened. If you are willing to do the work and you're interested, I will encourage you to sign up. You can check this here. Um, what we'll do is we'll contact you. We'll help you get you signed up so in January and you can begin that course. It is life-changing. Um, or maybe there's something else that, that you, you know. The Holy Spirit speaking to you that's other. Let me know what it is. Um, if there's a way that you need to respond, I want to pray for you and support you this week. And speaking of prayer, I do pray for you every week. It's, it's a way of, uh, I love to serve you. So if you let me know how to, I would appreciate it. Just write down that line there if you have a prayer request, and I will be praying. We've, every week, it seems like the last, what, three months, I've had a, every week I've had somebody come up and give thanks for, for an answered prayer, which is awesome. It doesn't always happen that way. We always have answered prayers, but this has been a very fruitful season. So write it down. And let me pray for you. Uh, Let's see what God does. And then here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, take these connection cards, put them in the offering basket, and uh, we'll just trust the Lord with these. All right, let's pray for our offerings now and uh, and our commitments. Father, thank you that you are you and that you are the God of the living, not the dead, that you are the living God and not a a God that is just an idol. God, thank you that, (laughs) that in you we find our hope. But God, also in you we find our security for today. I thank you that you are working right now in this church for your great purposes. 
Now, Father, I'm, I'm grateful that you haven't abandoned us, but you're doing amazing things. Father, I pray for this body that you would help us learn contentment. Whatever our, our, our phase of life, whatever we're in, Lord, God, help us to be people who, who trust in you and are contented in you so, Father, we can get busy about doing the work you've called us to do. Lord, I pray for the commitments that we're making today. Help us to keep those in a way that draw us closer to you and to your character. Father, I pray for our tithes and our offerings that we're making today, Father. May they be signs of our, our dependence upon you, but, Father, also our love for you. May they be investments in your kingdom. And, Lord, may you build your kingdom in us and through us. We ask in Christ's powerful name.